Welcome to the Sales Career Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Hopp. Whether you're an executive, sales leader, or just getting your career in sales started, I'm here to help you read between the lines and hear the real stories that you can't get from a resume or from a LinkedIn profile, all designed to help you shape your own sales career. Let's dive right into today's episode and see what we can learn. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Sales Career Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopp. I am joined today by a gentleman who uh, I guess we can call him a sales development influencer, a guy who's been in the sales development community associated with some of the fastest growing and forward thinking companies in the space. Now he runs and owns his own operation. Everybody, please welcome the great and powerful Sean Cease. How are we doing? Ah, pretty good. Thanks for the uh, brilliant introduction. That's exciting. <laughs> Look, I, it's the the least I could do. I, you know, you and I have been connected and followed each other on LinkedIn for many, many moons. So I'm, I'm happy that we get to, a chance to sit down and share a bit of your story. First question I always ask, you know, introduce yourself. Uh, there's people listening to this that have never heard of Sean Cease. What's your two minute career story as if someone's never heard of you? Uh, Two-minute career story. Uh, one way or the other, uh, I've been in sales my whole entire life, going all the way back to being a kid. That would be selling raffle tickets or chocolate bars or whatever for Little League soccer fundraisers. Always managed to be in the top three in sales. You know, I'd go door-to-door, you know, paper routes, whatever. So I've just always been kind of genuinely curious, you know, curious and never satisfied. So always doing uh, something, had the had the luxury of growing up in the Silicon Valley in the Bay Area in the uh, 80s and 90s, really close to high tech and, and things like this. So kind of grew up in that world from, you know, my early teen years or early 20s, you know, doing uh, high tech work and sales and so on. So it's just been a natural progression and evolution. I think before um, I actually took a deep dive into the sales development like the SDR world, which was probably about five years ago, you know, around 2018, 2019, I had a pretty fruitful 30 year career of uh, sales, you know, all the way from being a salesperson to um, running, you know, a couple of different businesses, a different, a uh, couple of different high tech endeavors. I built a brewery and did some other things from an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, place and then have come full circle all the way at ba- all the way back to actually, um, most recently, uh, I'm actually abandoning a lot of the sales development work I've been doing the last four or five years as you know, as a result of experiencing what's going on in that community, in that world. I'm not a big fan of it anymore, and I'm actually taking my business to a uh, revenue management and client acquisition model, more of a full cycle model, because I just am not happy or enthusiastic about the sales development world anymore. Actually, that's where I am. Love it. Very interesting. Um, so, so I guess one of the questions I have for you here: You ran a brewery. I didn't know. I that. ran a brewery. Yeah, I ran a brewery. That was a, that was like a hobby gone wild. Like you said, I'm never satisfied. I'm always curious about things. And I think when I was 20 or so, my uncle was home brewing, and um, he actually brought some Sierra Nevada Pale Ale or Sierra Nevada Pale Ale clone beer to Christmas, to a Christmas party. I thought, hey, this is pretty interesting. So I started uh, doing that. And that was just a hobby gone 
wild, started brewing with extracts and so on. Then I started buying the equipment and then figured out how to brew beer from uh, from raw materials, from malted barley, all grain batches. And then decided, hey, this would be an interesting little career. And um, after homebrewing for 15 or 16 years, I um, actually went to a school called the American Brewers Guild and certified or, or fortified my education in uh, craft brewing and engineering um, around brewing and built a, bought a two acre parcel up near uh, Lake Shasta and built a 6,000 square foot brewery and commissioned a 20 barrel brewery and did that for a few years until about 20, oh, 2009, 2010. Um, and then sold all that and then kind of went back to uh, high tech sales and things like that. So yeah, that was just a hobby gone wild. That was, that was crazy. That was a crazy, that was a great little run. That was fun. I think, you know, if there are a career where I could pick you know, I, I've talked about this on this podcast before that if I didn't have to make a lot of money, right, which one day I'll be in that position where I can just say, cool, I'm going to work on things I really care about and not work on things that make me a lot of money. I would do two things. I'd work at a golf course and I'd work at a brewery because those are the two things that I, my two biggest favorite hobbies that I could see myself talking about being about and just being happy to go to work at like a, a golf course and just be around, get to play free golf, work at a brewery. I'm the guy that every time we, you know, my friends and I go anywhere, they're like, Kevin, what, what would I like here? What do you think? Because I'm, I'm a craft beer guy, craft beer nerd, right? Um, I'm wearing a brewery shirt today. It's this Kiwi Brewing Company in uh, North Carolina, uh, South Carolina. So uh, I'm a big, uh, big craft beer guy. It's interesting that um, you didn't stay in the craft beer world, though. You kind of came back to came back to the SDR stuff. Yeah, there was there's some uh, personal stuff in there. By that time, I had been married. I think for 10 years, and we had three daughters at the time. They were probably three, five, and eight, something, something like that. And I had actually ended up getting a, a divorce. So, you know, on a personal side, anyone who's been through that knows that you know there yeah. were splitting down of economics and things like that. So we sold the properties and things like that, and then went our separate ways. So that was kind of part of the carnage of of that, and just another. Uh, you know, shedding of skin, burning off of dead wood and exercise and, you know, <laughs> becoming right. a new version of yourself. So it was natural for me to actually go back to, um, to um, you know, high tech sales. I actually actually at that time in far northern California was the t was the time where um, where there was a big push for the you know legalization of marijuana and things like that. And I actually, mm -hmm. you know, talking about things that people don't know about people, uh, you know, and we're probably going to talk about that. That's what this one thing. I don't know if I'm jumping, <laughs> jumping ahead here. Um, but uh, I spent a couple of years actually messing around in the, uh, in the, in the uh, cannabis trade at a very, very high level at uh, what they call the, I don't know if you could call it this, but the unit measure is a box in a, in a box. If anyone's familiar with that, you know that that's 100 pounds of cannabis at a time. And so then um, that was actually when it was illegal and so on. So, you know, I was a, uh, a drug dealer for a while after 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 the after the brewery. And I'm actually proud of that because that was actually exciting. It was actually fun because it, it had a lot to do with this is going to be legal and so on, being a maverick and an outlaw and whatever, yeah. but dirty business. But anyways, I mean, that's <laughs> you want the, tra you're, the transparent version of me. You want the transparent version of me. You get it. You know that's what you get when you work with me. That's that's that. 
Uh, that is that is really interesting. I've never had someone talk about their drug dealing past on here. That's that's interesting. Yeah, love it. There you have it. So, <laughs> bringing it back to sales for all the salespeople listening here. The next question I always ask is, you know, of all the sales rules you've had, you mentioned it started at a very young age for you. What's been the most challenging sales rule you've had, and kind of what made it challenging? I'm curious. I think probably the two most challenging sales roles that I've had, there's two of them that are probably equally challenging. One was when I made the move from the Bay Area to far northern California. I just kind of like decided one day, I like quit my job and said, I'm out of here. I'm done with the high tech stock options with the BS. Da, 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 da. I just need a change and, and I'm not going to buy a house in the Bay Area because it's getting too expensive and so on. Right. When I moved to far northern California, I got a job with a uh, – a Canon, a Canon dealership, uh, you know, a copy machine dealership, and it was yeah. right around the time. It was right around the time when, um, right around the time when, the copy machines were going digital. You could connect them, you know, to a network and so on, so you could share them and so on. So there was this big transition, you know, of analog to digital going on, and getting introduced to that world, you know, at the local at the local level, because I was working for you know local dealerships. There were there were there was a like a branch in each one of the little towns up and down I five, you know, these little small little gas station towns. And that was actually a new experience for me working in local markets instead of sitting behind, you know, sitting at a desk and working nationwide for a software company as an inside sales rep. It was just a mm -hmm. different model. And um, I was introduced to a whole different breed of uh, of professional salespeople who sold heavily on relationship and referrals and um, putting in the time and the effort and just relentlessly knocking on doors and being part of the community and things like this. And um, that experience, um, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take that experience back for anything in the world uh, because I just was introduced to a whole new way of selling. And it was extremely difficult to build a book of business from the ground up when you're not from town and you're not around and you don't have people. And so I learned a lot about um, what it takes to actually just, you know, knock on doors and get your teeth kicked in over time, over three months, six months, nine months, 12 months until things started to really build and you nurtured, you know, a uh, territory for long enough to where it starts to bear fruit. And um, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's actually, there's a lot of parallels there with uh, top of funnel outbound you know, in the, the idea that people want, you know, it's turned into this quick returns, build a list, call people, get meetings, get business. It doesn't work that way. It, it's the same exact thing. It takes, you, you have to commit, you have to make a commitment of time to it so that all of the nurturing that you do up front starts to build into a book of business or follow-up calls or things that actually turn into business down uh, the road. Thankfully, the kind of the planets lined up for me, though, I was able to take my high tech skills and background and kind of niche myself into that that market a little bit where I, I understood, you know, network infrastructure networks and so on, because I had a technical and a technical support background just from being in the Bay Area and all the work I had done up to that point. So I kind of became a little key player in terms of helping customers understand you can connect your copiers to the network and actually doing some of those installs and so on. The second, the second one, same thing, um, experience after the, after the, after the brewery, after the cannabis escapades and so on. And I actually went back to, uh, working, you know, in sales. I just took a job real quick, uh, for a minute for maybe a year and a half with a, uh, with a, uh, 
company that did background checks. It was a nationwide background check uh, company. Again, another another um, another situation where highly commoditized, right? Where people have long term oh, yeah. con long term contracts and uh, relationships with companies. And I took the job with them because they were they were tar they were 100% focused on trying to do business with the top, you know, the 750 largest. Uh, you know, hospital systems in the country, which I thought, hey, this is this is really great. Same thing as the the, the copy machine situation, and a really good application for outbound sales, but extremely difficult because you can't just call up people and say, hey, we want to help you save you time and money. You know, people have contracts, are not looking, and so on. So it's yeah. another great exercise and reminder in trying to do outbound work or phone calling that would actually help move the needle over time. So, you know, you, you just, when you have these experiences, you learn that sometimes when you're calling up people cold, that it might be just better to take a minute, the minute or minute and a half that you have to talk to somebody, the amount of time that somebody will actually take or give you if you're just courteous and decent and make that worthwhile for both of you. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I developed this idea of the big three of B2B or whatever, being able to ask people three questions. And for, in that market, the questions were, hey, I know you already have a background check company. Who do you use? You know, how long have you been using them? And, um, you know, how many background checks, you know, a month do you do? And people were willing to share that information because we'd say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I just got three questions for you and I'll let you go. And I use that as a method to, build my database. So over time, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months went by and it was time for them to renew or do, uh, you know, go out and actually get bids for, for business. So again, super hard because there's a balance between, hey, we do need some business now, but we also get that these are, we're, we're doing big game hunting and we're going after million dollar contracts. So we get it's going to take some time. So, you know, can you balance getting a few deals through the door by just luck or whatever with building this book of business and being smart enough to uh, not let the nose and getting your teeth kicked in and so on keep you from, um, you know, building something that will bear fruit over time. And again, both of those cases, I think, you know, huge lesson for anyone who's doing, you know, SDR work or even third, third party outbound. If you're thinking about using somebody like your company to do third-party outbound is that when both both parties agree that hey this is going to take some time you know maybe we actually spend the first month or you know the first month or first three months getting an idea of what the metrics look like you know the dial to connect what right. what kind of message is resonating with the fact that we're building this book of business it will take long term you get people talking that way and working together then you really have something otherwise it's just kind of inspection and reprimand you know like people saying hey Where's where's the meetings? Where's the revenue? Da 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 da. And, and if the expectations aren't set, oh up boy, front, you're doomed. You're you're, yeah. you're doomed. Sean, so, you, anyways, they're, they're <laughs> difficult, right? I mean, those are difficult roles, the long-term stuff there. I believe it. I believe it. You're giving me PTSD here. I mean, <laughs> those those listening uh, probably know me fairly well and know that I I do come from that done for you outbound world. Not really. Not really a big fan of doing that anymore, but uh, it's funny that you talk about background checks. Uh, the The co-founder of the last business I was in, he he sold a background screening company and he made a bunch of money that way. And so our first 15 clients were all background screening companies. Then we were trying to go outbound and I, I experienced this exact problem you're talking about where 
it's not a value sell. There's not a lot of value to be done there. It's a, yeah, we use, uh, you know, silver, whatever, and we've been using them forever. It's what we do. Yeah. Done. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think you're right. You run in, you run into that in, uh, in a lot of different markets, right? I mean, I know there's, uh, there's a lot of, you know, so they always say software is eating the world. So it's going into every single market. I know that one of the, one of the big markets that we always saw is doing third party outbound was freight, logistics, trucking, things like this. And it's another it's another case where these these buyers or the people that use this kind of logistical software, uh, things that could be automated and so on, these are these people are salty, you know. I mean they've they've been sitting in that chair for 30 years, 50 years, you're not gonna tell them anything new. Um, but if you're savvy enough, I mean if you're if you if you can pay attention to what's happening, you learn pretty quick that you know, you might want to open up with, hey, you know, Kevin, I, I was calling from whatever. And, I, you know, my experience is that I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. Um, I just wondered if I could ask you a couple of questions and then, you know, find out what's happening. You know, how tied tie in they are to something. Um, you know, I think that there, there's a, basically there's a big difference between, um, you know, the top of the funnel and making these calls between trying to sell people, you know, what you do as opposed to you know helping those people get what they want you know and it, it gets short-sighted you know you come out with people like hey well we get to get a meeting to share how you do with this and people instantly come back and say no we're good man we're, we're all set we're good we're good to go yeah we're good to go all set. but again these, these all these commoditized markets where if yeah. you could just spend a little bit of time saying hey i you know i i would fall out of my chair I, you know i'd have fallen out of my chair if you told me that you didn't already have something that was doing this or you didn't have a partner or, or contracts right. that you that you've been in with for a long time, and so, you know, most of the people I'm talking to are at least open to, you know, exploring new ideas, you know, just to see what's out there on the market, make sure that they've got the best stuff in place, or you know, maybe, right. you know, open their eyes to some things they're they're unaware of, you know, even if we yeah. even if we have this meeting, you know, I, I would still be surprised if it really goes anywhere, but I don't have any, I, I, you know, I don't object to putting some time on the calendar so we can walk you through it. You know, do you keep some time on your calendar open to, you know, at least explore new ideas, see what's out there and find out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd be grateful if you just tell me that we're, we've got our heads up our ass and our idea is stupid, you know, like, <laughs> how about we do that? You know, right. <laughs> that, you know, that, that's sort no, of it's, a, it's a great approach. It reminds me of one of the, one of my favorite ways to close for a meeting, which is to simply ask somebody if they're open-minded to having a discussion. And if you ask somebody if they're open-minded, they rarely ever want to say no. And it reminds them that they should be open-minded. The open-minded is the path to, to like growth and potential and new opportunity. And everybody likes the idea of new opportunity, but no one likes the idea of buying or being sold or anything like that. So really interesting way to look at that. Next question yeah. I have for you, Sean. Um, have you ever been fired or laid off? And, and if so, what, what can we learn from that experience? What, what, did, what did you learn through that experience? Yeah, I have a history. I've got a probably a history of firing myself, you know, like, because um, I can I can be pretty stubborn and, and, uh, and pig headed. It's one of one of my things. And that's probably part of the reason why I, you know, I end up starting my own businesses or doing my my own my own thing. Um, but yeah, I have I have um, I really I don't really I, I, I have a real problem with uh, with you know, short sightedness or, or actually I would say, I'd say really the tyranny of middle management in, in general, you know what I mean? Um, that I think that yeah. there, there's probably a, there's a real problem in sales with, with people being, um, 
you know, promoted to, to incompetence and it's, it's difficult to find uh, really good leader leadership in sales. And then like in the middle sales management and things like this, just be there, it's so easy for it to turn into uh, inspection and reprimand instead of a, um, a situation where it's about learning and optimization. So there's been a there's been a couple of times where I've just said flat out, like you know, that this isn't this isn't for me. This isn't going to work. It's not it's it's not going to go anywhere. So you know, I don't I don't have anything you know specific to share there. It's just more of a um, you know, sometimes I'll wake up one day and say, hey, this just isn't for me because I've had enough. And, and you know, I, I try try to, you know, live, you know, the kind of life where, you know, I'm taking care of things financially and have a little bit of money in the bank and things like that so that I don't have to be in situations where I have to stay somewhere to pay the bills and things like that, which gives me the yeah. opportunity to not stay in, you know, situations that are uh, toxic or or uh or hostile or, or things like I that. I think that's the lesson, right? Like the you're you're only really for, like this is America, right? No one's forced to do anything. <laughs> it, yeah. You know, ninety ninety five percent of jobs are at will employment, right? Meaning, mm -hmm. you know, you can come and go at any time. The only thing that really ties you to a job is the idea that you need a paycheck, a living paycheck to paycheck. And I remember I remember early on in my career I lived paycheck to paycheck for a long time, you know? And uh, when you can finally start making a little bit of money and saving money, then you start to be able to have a decision-making process that's not based on money. If you see that your job is money and you need money, then it, then it becomes a source of insecurity, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's super hard. I think, yeah, probably, in, you know, lifestyle and discipline and things like that. Um, I'm as, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody over the years i think probably through my 20s and 30s you know you'd find me uh you know as like i said as home brewing or making beer and so on uh love micro brews so you'd, you'd find me at the bar you know monday through friday at happy hour from five to seven drinking two or three or four pints and that certainly wasn't putting my best foot forward and was expensive and so on but you know in the last uh i don't know what it's been maybe the last uh six years or so um, you know, I actually, I quit smoking, quit drinking, quit everything, not for any other reason than just, you know, like just stop doing it. And, um, those, those kind of, those kind of decisions make a, uh, they make a, they make a difference. It's probably just because I was getting older and couldn't take it anymore. Really. You know, now that I'm right. 51 and, um, I'm getting to that age where, you know, I want to take a nap in the afternoon and then I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and, you know, I'm just being an old Dang. person. You know, right, right. But I, th but I, there's no doubt, there's no doubt about it that some of the, you know, that time or you know, hungover all the time, like or whatever, or feeling the effects of, you know, being up to eleven or twelve or one o'clock in the morning, drinking pints of beer or a six pack of beer, and then getting up and going, going to work and hopping on the phone and grinding, grinding away, you know, um, sure. puts a dent in your uh, your ability to, you know, to save money and and, and whatever, you know, and. Totally, there you go. Totally. Maybe you're stuck in a job, you know, stuck. Interesting. So, so, so being sober has helped you also, like, feel like you have more flexibility to do what's right for you, I guess. Well, it's a definitely, definitely a, a cost, a cost savings uh, thing for sure. And then, um, yeah, you know, just a lot more, more time to 
do stuff and relax or I've even gotten uh, you know over the last couple of years uh, I guess probably since COVID started I went on some weird little thing like hey I'm gonna be you know in really good shape when I turn 50 and so you know I started walking more and the gyms closed because of COVID so I bought kettlebells and started getting into fitness and things like that and then I haven't stopped that and you know so just so you know just whatever I think I it, there's I think the bigger story isn't like, oh, hey, you know, you quit drinking, you quit this, you quit that. It's more, it's, I think it is, it's more like, um, like, you know, take, taking aim at different causes, right? Like taking aim at something, um, because always becoming the next best version of yourself, uh, shedding skin, burning off the dead sure. wood, you know, things like that. And I don't think that that ever ends like, you know, feeling that way or thinking that way, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's perpetual, right? Like I can't, I can't wait for, you know, next year. That'll be cool. I mean, I try to live in the moment or whatever, but I know just the way that I am that, you know, sometimes I think things today where I, that I was thinking yesterday, I go, boy, you were stupid yesterday, you know, as a, as a result of kind of thinking about new ideas or trying to develop new things or whatever. And then ta-da, you're a new version of yourself, you know, taking an aim at some other goal and then setting up the incremental steps to get there and boom, you get there and then start over, game over, take aim at another goal and, and you know, so on. So, yeah, well, I think that goes on, goes on for, I don't think there's any end to that, you know. Well, hopefully there's not, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, until it things, does end, right? Until it does just end. Until, until you over. end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Until one day we all die. But yeah. I I, uh, I think there's a there's a really important message there in what you're just talking about, which is this this continual evolution and continually trying to be the best version of yourself. And mm -hmm. it's one of the things that I you know I, I try to explain to my wife like why I it was like <clears throat> one, one other thing background about my wife she's had one job you know she's nine years into her career one company one job one title she's just loves it. She's an occupational therapist. It's just a plug and chug job. She goes to the work, the same coworkers that have literally been at this company for 25 or 30 years. This is, so she, you? she thinks she'll do that too. Just have a career here. Just do that. And then, mm -hmm. then there's me, right? It could not be further on the opposite end of the spectrum of, you know, I mostly work in three, six or nine month increments and I, I'm doing different things all the time. And now I'm a consultant full time. So, um, it's just completely up and down, but, she doesn't understand. She's like, well, how do you deal with that? And I, and I say, it's so exciting to think that I can do something new and the, the thrill of the unknown and the thrill of what could be is more exciting to me than what I know and what, what's there. And I think of that the same way, you know, apply that same principle to self-improvement, right? Um, <clears throat> why, why do I continue to go to the gym all the time? Why, why do I continue to... Um, try to educate myself on on various different things you know I, I, i'm always trying so i dig that well sean one of the last questions i have for you here if you could go back to you know like call it day one of your sales career and give yourself one piece of career advice what would that be uh probably don't start a career in sales no, just... <laughs> love that know. well I, you know i whatever i i think i think it I think it's fair. I think it's probably pretty fair to say that 
it would go something like this, right? Like you don't pick the career, the career picks you, right? I mean, even if you go to school Sometimes. and try to do things or whatever, the career ends up picking you or you do something stupid like buy a, you know, buy a car or something and now you have to work to pay for that. So you go do something yeah. you know how to do and you may not like to do it um, or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I, th I think I probably, I, I think, Probably it would be um, that if it was specifically about sales or sales career, is that you can't you can't cheat you you can't cheat time, you know, um, mm -hmm. and I you can't cheat time, and so you have to do the you have to do the work, um, and there, there, you know it's like you reap what you sow, right? Um, sure. Yeah, in you know, if you if you if you do the work, or even the, even I think even around this idea of brand building or whatever, personal brand building, and uh, I'm always on the fence about that because you, it's really dangerous, right? Because you could actually, um, you know, pigeon your whole you could pigeonhole yourself into uh, building a brand around a product, where it probably makes more sense to build a brand around. Um, integrity and honesty and things like that. So people know that, hey, you know, you can trust that person or, hey, they're a pretty good person or, you know, or uh, whatever. They can give you a good referral or whatever, as opposed to, you know, trying to be a, a uh, thought leader in a particular uh, industry or discipline or whatever. Um, but I've, what I've, there's a real risk there, right? You, you you run the risk of running out of stupid shit to say, so you start making up <laughs> stuff, right? Right. Um, and it's and it's kind of dangerous, so you got to be careful. But you can, I mean, you can never being being transparent and honest and genuine and so on never never goes out of never goes out of style. Right. Know? Yeah. So you just I mean, you got to do the work, you got to put the put the uh, time in. I think I don't yeah. know. There's another thought that's been on my mind about that lately with with uh, all of the different products and solutions that are out there, like a, especially even in the SDR role too, like everyone trying to get meetings with people. And that's why I say, I, I think when I got into, when I took a deep dive into that, you know, over the last five years that I don't think that, I don't think that I've ever been in a, in a, in a more uh, like there's a real, there's a real danger around top of funnel SDR work these days, in my opinion, that it's almost, it, it it's like a, it's a, almost like a world shrinking kind of uh, endeavor that's really can, that's only matched by like the toxicity of a, of an emotionally abusive relationship, you know, like, <laughs> you know, your world what, shrinks. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean the, the, the obsession with the obsession with trying to get meetings, right? Um, and it creates mm -hmm. all these things like perverse incentives, right? Um, you know, I mean, perverse incentives, like the, you know, there's a bunch of stories around that, like, uh, in India, they had a, this is an old story, right? They had a problem with cobras, right? And so what said, Hey, we'll give everybody money if you bring in cobras, right? So what do people do? They started farming cobras, right? <laughs> they started farming them and then bringing them in for money. And when they realized the government realized they were getting hoodwinked, then they let all the cobras out. The problem was worse than it was before. Right. Perverse incentives. People actually start to uh, manage towards the metric. Right. And yeah. the problem with the problem with meeting set is that it's rarely tied to 
it's rarely tied to revenue, right? Like this idea of just getting meetings, getting meetings, getting meetings. And um, it can really shrink your world if you don't pay attention to those meetings being converted to uh, to revenue. Right. You know, without having revenue in mind. And a whole entire, you know, industry has popped up around it, like um, sales engagement platforms, cadences, sequences, um, spamming has gone crazy. Um, calling people across all kinds of different phone numbers. Um, yep. And so you can end as a, as a salesperson or somebody who says, hey, I'm going to get into this SDR role. And I've heard people say it like, hey, I really like this role. And what happens is, is you're, you get stuck in passing a baton that, go, that doesn't go anywhere. And it's happening more and more like it's falling. Um, it's falling flat. Like it's, it's not working very well for for a lot of people. And I know people who are listening to this. They won't like to hear that. But you know who you know you know who you are and you know you feel it every day because you don't want to get up and you don't want to make the calls you don't want to do it but you're stuck here and you're doing it um and what i'm seeing what i'm seeing more and more from the technology side of the the products that are available to get a job as an sdr those products are usually rooted in i'm trying to sell you what we do as right. opposed to anything that you actually need that would help make your life any better and you got it. You have to be careful about that because if you're selling nice to haves, you're not going to sell much of it, and it's not going to go anywhere. And then that'll end up shrinking your world, your time. You'll you have wasted time, or so on. And that's why that's why you know after taking a deep dive, you know, into the sales development world over the last three or four years since 2019, I've actually made a conscious decision to go back to uh, full cycle, more of. Uh, client acquisition model, even on, at a, at a, on an outsourced basis, you know, for companies to put together the whole entire, uh, you know, revenue management, you know, for founders or people who are building products that don't actually have that side of the house. They don't have a sales team. Uh, they don't have uh, sales know-how and so on to complement, you know, developers with really good ideas with, with uh, complete teams for sales and marketing and so on right. rooted in client acquisition, which the question is not how many meetings do you need? It's how many customers do you need or, you know, how many ex customers do you need by Y amount of time? And let's work it back from there. If right. calling people and asking meetings and doing demos that way works. Sure. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's a spoke in the wheel or whatever, but it's gotten to the point where the SDR rule has become some Holy grail way to do things. And it's not, it's a, shit show in a lot of cases and it is a bit of a shit show i, yeah. I can't i can't uh can't argue with you there well sean thanks for thanks for coming on man i really do appreciate You're it welcome. how can my pleasure how can how can people connect with you how can people work with you if they they like what you said yeah well my name is down in the bottom there i'm oh, my doors always open there's a calendar up at ineveranswer.com um i've been using the hashtag five by noon which is just basically the idea of you know getting a full five hours of work in by noon every day the str rolls not that hard if you're doing it correctly you should be able to get some meetings by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning and call it a day or do that for two or three clients and make you know 100k if you're doing it correctly otherwise you're i don't know what you're doing but that's it i'm sure my name's in the corner there uh Love five it. by noon i never answer.com connect with me say hi whatever i'm always open to carrying on about whatever yeah i i think uh anyone who follows you on linkedin knows that that you've got a lot of strong opinions and i think it's fascinating your, your takes on on everything uh around sales development tech and things like that so thanks sean i really appreciate you coming on here uh let's stay in touch man 
Cheers. My pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. If this episode is interesting to you, please share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter. Tag me, and I might just feature your post in an upcoming episode of the Sales Career Podcast. Or if you want to connect directly, go to hopconsultinggroup.com and we'll find a way to work together. Cheers.